What is going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieved stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Bruno Major over Zoom video. Bruno was born and raised in Northampton and talks about how he got into music. His dad is a musician, a guitar player, and played in bands while Bruno was growing up. Bruno and his brother are both musicians. Bruno talked about learning guitar at an early age, falling in love with jazz music, actually going to school to learn jazz guitar. And when he was around 22 years old, that's when he started to write his own music. Bruno talks about releasing his live EP, which eventually landed him a deal with Virgin Records. He recorded an entire album that ended up getting shelved by the label. He talks about that story and then gets into the debut album of his called A Song for Every Moon, which he wrote one song a month for an entire year, put that out independently, and now his song Easily from that record has 343 million plays on Spotify. It went gold, and he talks about the success of that album. We hear about putting out his second album, which is called To Let a Good Thing Die which he had all together, ready to do a big tour, release the album, and then COVID happens. So he talks about how that delayed the album, and then all about his brand new album, which is called Columbo. You can watch our interview with Bruno on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be incredible if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Bruno Major. Cool. Awesome. Well, I'm Adam and very nice to meet you. And this is about you and your journey in music. And we'll talk about the, the new album. Perfect. Perfect. Cool. Um, so from what I was reading, were you born in Northampton and born and raised there? Born and raised in Northampton, England. Yeah, I uh, was born in a little village called Chapel Brampton, um, which was uh, honestly quite a lovely place to grow up. That's cool. How close are you to the like there? Is it like a are you close to a big city? I'm so unfamiliar. I'm from. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's about, an hour, about an hour, <laughs> an hour and a half north of London. Okay, so not too far. So we've got we've got Birmingham. Everybody talks like that, and then we've got <laughs> London, where everyone talks like that, and like we're kind of exactly halfway in the middle. Even the accent <laughs> sounds like halfway in the middle. Halfway in the middle. Very <laughs> very cool. Um, so what about music? How did you get into music? Did you like come from a musical family? I believe you. You have a brother that's also in a band. Yeah. Um, well, my my dad uh, was always in bands, and he um, he plays guitar. So there's always always guitars lying around the house. Um, and, you know, I mean, no sort of professional musicians in our family, but, um, yeah, we, we, we were always exposed to music from an early age. Um, and, uh, yeah, me and my brother are both, are both musicians. He's in a band called London Grammar who are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's a funny one. It, I don't know how it happened really that we both ended up pursuing it, but, um, yeah, we were just, we were exposed to good music from an early age and, um, my parents were supportive of our endeavors. That's cool. How much younger is your brother than you? Uh, two and a half years. Oh, so you guys are fairly close. Would you play together growing up? Like, were you in bands ever together? Oh, yeah, man. We were, we, were in, uh, we were in bands. Like, uh, we were both metalheads when we were younger. 
Oh, really? Um, That's interesting. I mean, to be honest, doing I'm still a, I'm still a metalhead. <laughs> I listen to like I listen to like Lamb of God, um, Mastodon. Oh, wow. uh, like Meshuggah, like that's my workout music. Interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, very, very different from what you're doing now. Well, man, I, I think about this sometimes because, like, when you when you make an, when you make an album, like when you make your first album, you can make anything. Like, mm-hmm. I could have made my first album a metal album, but I didn't. <laughs> but it's, it's almost like it's like as you go through it, it kind of shuts up all the doors, you know. It's like if I if my album, if my third album had come out, and it would have been like, people would have been really weirded out by that. But if I'd made right. it as my first album, they would have just accepted it. Sure. Well, I was gonna say there's still time to write a metal album. Yeah, maybe I'll do a side project. <laughs> uh, you said your dad was a guitar player, play, played in bands growing up. Would you? Was it just like local kind of gigs? Would you go see him play at all? Yeah, I mean, I was a bit young, but um, I mean, I, I I fell I used to fall asleep to them rehearsing and in, in the in the other end of the house. Oh wow! And, um, yeah, and I, I I couldn't hear anything except for the bass lines, um, and their bass player was killer. This guy called Aggie. And uh, I still remember all those bass lines, man. I th- it's funny because I didn't pick up the bass until quite late on when I started making my, my albums and um, immediately felt like that's what I should have been doing the whole time. I feel like Aggie's bass lines just osmosized into my brain whilst I was sleeping as a child. That's amazing. Were they writing original music or doing mainly cover songs? Yeah, yeah they're a band. They were called Love in Exile. Oh, that's, got, that's actually a cool they got, some, they got some great songs, man. That's awesome. Wow. So you'd hear him obviously growing up and when he was the first instrument you learned guitar. Yeah. I, I started playing guitar when I was seven and I did a, you know, I did the classical classical grades. Mm. Um, yeah. And then um, when I was about 13, I got into metal and I started like, that's when I got really into guitar when I was about 13. And I, I, I started to, um, you know, practice a lot. I, you know, play every night, all night and, um, I was just shredding, you know, it was like learning my tapping and my, oh, sure. my shred chops. Um, and then I, and then I, and then at about seven, 16, 17, I, I saw a, a Martin Taylor as a, so he's a jazz guitar player. He did a solo concert and blew my mind to smithereens. And I, I immediately knew that I needed to learn. I had no idea what he was doing, but I just knew that I needed to know what he was doing. Um, so I, I got really into jazz and uh, ended up doing like a, a jazz degree. And yeah, that's um, that. And th- conversely, during my uh, sorry. Are you still there? Are you there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, during my jazz degree, you know, in, in jazz, you, there are jazz standards. So mm-hmm. you're learning to improvise over the top of like Fly Me to the Moon or Autumn Leaves or Stella by Starlight, all these classic American songs from like the 30s and 40s. But I realized about uh, a year into my studies that what really excited me and what I was really interested in was the the songs themselves. Um, so I started to write my own jazz standards. You know, I was oh, like, wow. well, what if I wrote like my own version of uh, Come Fly With Me by Frank Sinatra? And that's really how I, I, I got into song, songwriting. And, it, and it's still there if you listen to my songs. Like a lot of my songwriting um, harks back to that era. Mm-hmm. And were you, I mean, at that point you were just writing guitar parts or were you writing like, uh, cause lyrics and, and your voice and everything that come in around that same time as well. Or were you always, yeah, like no, it, it sort of like happened, yeah, it happened at the same time. I, I was about, I was about 22 
um, is when I moved to London and um, I'd always loved writing as a kid. And um, I actually like thought about maybe I would be a writer. Um, um, and it was like when I started writing songs, the thing that ma is magical for me about songwriting is the the relationship that the words have with the music. So, you know, if you say a, a, a lyrical phrase with a, a certain chord underneath it, Mm -hmm. um or you you change that chord like at the end of my album there's a a lyric that says uh, and the hurt that i feel will remind me of you um and i like you know i change the the chord that keeps repeating that time it's a minor chord and it just makes it really sad and like that that is like a game to me and i love i love experimenting with that kind of stuff or you know, even like colombo where it says uh um uh like something about the setting sun and i do these like bvs that like go wah, 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 yeah wah. it's like that's the setting sun and i i mean it's kind of nerdy but i just you know I, I really get off on that stuff oh that's awesome i have to re i just was just listening to combo right before i uh got on this call with you and i, I want to go back and kind of hear how you do that that's really fascinating kind of making the music yeah. speak to the lyrics in that way dude there are there are so many easter eggs in my in my music like that's in um tears and rain it's like all the little things that will be lost like tears and rain and like i've got the raindrops in the synths and they're like slowly disappearing and like i've got like that song's about my grandmother dying and at the end i've got the church bells on the piano and uh -huh. like i'm just i love making like musical metaphors that's so cool yeah I'm, not, I'm gonna have to dive back in and, and try to see if i can find some of those little easter eggs that's, that's really cool i i did not I do like I did radio and stuff for a long time in interviews, but I I always was fascinated with uh, video editing, and it's kind of it reminds me of the, like you you hear the voiceover whatever it's talking about, and you got to find the elements that kind of match what it's doing. But you're doing it all through you know music totally. and audio, cool. Um, so you started at 22 is when you started writing songs. Yeah, man, I I hadn't I hadn't written a song or sung at all before 22. Um, but as, as I said, I, I've been studying like jazz as a, as yeah, a world. Yeah, we're familiar with, obviously, and I was, with you know, theory I, I was, and everything. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think there's a better way to learn to write songs than, than studying Jerome Kern and Cole Porter and Roger, Roger and Hammerstein and like George Gershwin, like all of those guys. Um, and I was really familiar with the, with the you know, uh, functional harmony the movement of the way that those chords run. And, and I think, I, I think to a certain extent, I, I'd, I'd osmosize those lyrics. Um, so yeah, I, I say I started writing at 22, but um, I, I was definitely learning to some extent before that. Sure. Sure. And when you started doing that or putting out your own songs or writing your own songs, um, was it something that like, like how did it begin? Were you just doing it and showing it to people or did you try to put something online or like how did yeah originally I, um, I guess i didn't really intend on being a song on being an artist i was i i thought maybe i, I wanted to be a songwriter um you know like jerome Kern. Um, yeah writing for other people and the yeah okay. um and then i i, I basically would i'd write a song and then as soon as it was finished i'd just do a live performance recorded on my uh, iphone and then i'd upload it to soundcloud and uh, I very quickly got, um, at the same time, I was going around like uh, acoustic nights in London, you know, mm. performing and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I very quickly got um, emails coming in from publishers being like, we love you, your your songs. And also, who's the guy singing in the 
in the demos and i was like well it's me i'm sorry i didn't have anyone to sing it and they're like no we love your voice <laughs> that's um, awesome so then you know then the next thing i know i'm i'm flying over to america and and signing a record deal with like virgin records and and, and i and i was like this definitely wasn't meant to happen but cool i guess wow that's huge i mean could you yeah. like that must have been such a big moment to be like not only does a major label want you but you're coming out to the united states and we're yeah. getting courted that way oh my god yeah it's so bizarre it's because i spent so long like studying guitar mm -hmm. and like you know putting all this work into this thing and then i like kind of just started writing songs as an accident wrote a couple and suddenly it's like you're great we love your voice we love your songs it's like but i don't i don't know what the fuck i'm doing i like <laughs> i know what i'm doing about i know what i'm doing here but, <laughs> but for some reason people don't care about that nearly as much yeah wow so okay when you get signed is like are they having you put an album out? i know you had the live ep and was that yeah around that same well, time or was that prior to well it, it was funny because i had i had all these record labels being like you're amazing we love you um but most of them were like you're amazing we love you um you should sound like ed sheeran you're amazing we uh, love you you should sound like david gray you're amazing we love you you should sound like jack white and virgin huh. records were like you're amazing we love you here's a check and uh, so okay. i signed with them Makes sense. And on the condition that they weren't allowed to hear the music and the album until it was ready, that I didn't want them like hanging out in the studio and telling me well, to turn the snare drum up. I just couldn't be bothered. Anyway, so I did this <laughs> album. Awesome. We had uh, we had like Pino Palladino on the bass. We had Jason Rebello on the keys. I had Jeremy Stacey on the drums. It was produced by Ethan Johns. It was like in wow. real world studio in Peter Gabriel's studio. I had like you know hundreds of thousands of dollars being spent on this thing. I had a I had a personal chef who was making us pies with our, our, the, our initials on them. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not in, the, I'm, in the words of Alex Jones, I'm not bragging, but the, uh, <laughs> the point I'm telling you this is because it was so ridiculous. And then at the end of the whole thing, I, I handed them the album and they were like, this is fucking shit. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, yeah. And they dropped me. Sorry, I, I'm not allowed to swear. Oh, no, you um, can swear. Cool. Uh, yeah, they, they were like, this is, um, they said, quote, this is unreleasable. Um, and then, yeah, I was signed to them for six months and then they, they dropped me. I came back to, came back to the UK with no money, no self-esteem and also no album because, you know, they took it and said, uh, you can, you can have it back if you pay us back the $300,000 or whatever it is they spent on it. And I was like, as it happens, I don't have $300,000 guys. So yeah, so hilariously, I, I spent what was left of my uh, record deal advance. I bought a laptop and a, and a microphone, um, which was a, this one, which is, by the way, the best mic ever is an SM7B. Oh, that's Shaw. what I have. <laughs> 400, yeah, yeah, unbelievable. They're 400 quid. You can put them in your backpack and they're invincible. Michael Jackson recorded Thriller on them. Oh, anyway, I didn't know I that. that. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, you can record everything with them. But anyway, I, I, I had that and I recorded the entire album with, with Pharaoh, Finley Robson, who does still produces all my stuff now. Um, and we did it on a budget of zero, zero. Um, and we self-released it on a, with a marketing budget of £6,000, which I borrowed from my manager. And the lead single went gold in America. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, is that so, you wrote like a what a song a month or something like that? Yeah, that I, I so I I I, I re recorded and released a song every month for one year. 
Um, and at the end of it, I put it out as an album. It was called A Song for Every Moon. And uh, yeah, that's about how my career started, really. Oh, my gosh. I mean, to see the success of, of that song going gold and, and everything else with it, um, that must have been such a huge, like, obviously a huge validation to be like, oh, they should have put my record out, obviously. like I, I... Well, in, in, in their defense, I don't think the stuff that I did with, when I was there was, was as good. Um, uh, okay. You know, what, what's, I think what's special about that album is you can hear that it was done in my kitchen with one microphone. And, and, and it's not like, you know, people always ask me at the time, I was like, how did you make that lo-fi sound? I was like, bro, that's as hi-fi as I could get. <laughs> <laughs> it was really not a stylistic decision. It was just a, a process of limitations. And, but it's got an intimacy to it. It's got a rawness to it. And you can hear my like iPhone ringing in, in, in easily. And you can hear like the shuffling around in the room and you can hear the, the bad mixings. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And, and, and it feels real and, it, and I, I really meant it and it feels like mine and whether or not, you know, it, I'm sure the album I made with Virgin was like better um, in, in whatever way, but it, it didn't make people feel in the way that um, A Song for Every Moon did. And I, I think as much as I learned a great deal from, learn, from, from making an album with Ethan Johns, and I did learn a great deal because he's a great producer, mm-hmm. um, I learned just as much from the process of making it myself and understanding that people don't care whether you've used a 10,000 pound Neumann or not, as long mm-hmm. as it makes them feel something. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think that's being even more like, like seen nowadays, especially with yeah. like, you know, social media and TikTok and these things. Yeah, where yeah. You'll hear a song go viral there that was recorded on like a, yeah. you know, $10 USB mic in their closet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it you yeah. know blows up that way. Yeah. And I'm, no offense I'm also, to all the no offense to all the the studio engineers out there. No, 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 for sure. But it's just interesting how that is. And I've I've even had other artists say that that when they're recording a demo, especially during COVID and stuff, not having the access to the studio, they'd record a demo or a vocal take, and then mm. going back to a bigger studio and trying to like regurgitate that same emotion on the like on the the song, it just wasn't there, and they ended up using that original version. Oh yeah, all all the time, man, all the time. I. I, I generally find there's something very special about the first time you do anything. Um, mm-hmm. And you trying to recreate that is, is, is normally an impossibility. Yeah. A hundred percent. And then you did another record up until COVID, right? You were going to release it and then that all stopped. Obviously probably. Yeah. And then we did, uh, we did uh, to let a good thing die, which came out in 2020, um, which actually came out like just as the pandemic hit and, um all the touring was cancelled and um you know it was a, it was a strange release in in some ways this album that i'm releasing now is the first time i've ever released an album in the in a traditional way um the first one was a song for every moon which was that weird song a month thing and the second one came out during lockdown so i've never had some singles coming out and then the album and a big tour like i'm so excited about doing something extremely <laughs> normal yeah. um well yeah. as, as normal as you can call releasing an album you know yeah um but yeah i mean that that album I'm super proud of, and and like we had this mad TikTok moment with uh, with the lead single "Nothing," mm-hmm. um, which went viral, and I think it was like you know the top ten most listened to piece of music on TikTok at one point, um, and that's brought my my music to a whole whole new audience. Um, you know, it ended up on like SNL, and Billie Eilish did it on on um, on SNL and stuff, and yeah, it's I don't know, it was just it was just a really mad 
moment um, showed me the power of virility and um, yeah, it was pretty cool, really. Yeah. And yeah, Benny is, is he on this? He co-wrote something or he's on your new record too, right? No, album? he did. Um, he did uh, the most or beautiful he... thing, which was a single off of the. Oh yeah. Album. The previous album. Sorry. I'm getting yeah, confused yeah, yeah. on myself. Um, so, wow. I mean, that's huge to hear that she's going to do a, not only a song, but on SNL, which is like, you know, so many people paying attention. And I mean, that must've been insane. Well, it was insane, but hilariously, it also showed you like how, how much more powerful new media is because TikTok, the TikTok thing changed my life. Really. It like doubled my streaming numbers and brought my, my whole catalog to a, a whole new audience of, mm -hmm. of different people. Um, whereas SNL, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I got like a hundred tweets. <laughs> no disrespect to SNL. I don't want to no, bad SNL. Like, I, I, I want to play you. If you would like me to play you, I will play. <laughs> right, right. But it is interesting how that is, right? I mean, the amount of eyes and ears you have as far when it comes to social media versus cable television. But anyway, um, yeah. so it's been three years since that album. Um, has this record been or this new album been, a th you know, tell me when you did you start working on this one? Uh, so this one, basically, as soon as the lockdown ended, I got on, I, to be honest with you, I, I lost my, uh, lost my marbles a little bit during the lockdown, as I'm sure a lot of us did. Mm -hmm. Um, and I found it very difficult to, to do anything creative. I felt like a plant that was kept in the dark, uh, with no sunlight. Um, so I didn't write anything for a, for a year, basically. Um, wow. and then as soon as the lockdown like the, the travel bans was lifted. I went to uh, on the first plane to America and landed in Los Angeles. And I bought this vintage Mercedes as uh, 1981 XL, which is an ivory white, like shabby brown leather interior, which I love very much. Um, and I spent six months just driving around and basically just saying yes to everything. You know, I, I went to all the parties. I fell in love with everyone. I, caused absolute chaos and carnage and like had a full <laughs> meltdown but it was like i was so starved of life so starved of experience and i just felt like oh my god i i'm free i can do whatever i want um and it was an amazing time um and I, probably the most prolific period of songwriting i've had i wrote the whole album in about six months really wow and was yeah. were you writing based on those experiences that you're having yeah 100 man Hundred percent, and then yeah, just um, flew back to flew back to England and spent about a year recording it in this room. Oh no way! Um, so did you so you did it yourself again, like similar to the first album? Yeah, I did it all with with Pharaoh, uh, the same producer that I've done all of my albums with. Uh, we uh -huh. we we literally lived in this room. We actually had a bed on the floor just there. Oh, um, wow. It's called the, the Slug Nest. <laughs> <laughs> So well, oh, that's great. So you wrote the album when you were in LA, and then when you got back, you you recorded the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And when it came to this album, I mean, how, you said earlier this is kind of really your first proper, you know, put the singles out and then put the album out and then mm. do, do the do the tour. Like going into it, did you approach it any differently than those first two albums? Like kind of knowing, like, well, hopefully everything will stay open and it's going to be similar to a regular record. No, not really, but it felt different just because it was my third album. I think your first album, you feel like it's very special because you, you're totally green. No one is listening or waiting for it. And you've got a whole lifetime of experiences to bank on and as much time as you want to make it. So it's like a, a unique thing, the first album. 
Second album, traditionally harder. You have a fan base, you have pressure, you have time constraints, you're touring and you, you probably developed like, you know, uh, ego complexes and all of this stuff that you've got from, from becoming an artist. And it's like, then you have to try and channel that all into the second album. The third album was the first time I felt like really relaxed about it. And I, I was really confident that I could, that I could do something, um, do something really special. Um, and it's the first, and it is actually the first album that like, I think fully uh, represents my capabilities as a musician. Like, I feel like everything I've worked towards my whole life is in a way been leading up to this thing, um, which is Columbo, the third album. Wow. And do you feel like, were there, when you say that, is there certain things that you were able to implement in the album that you hadn't before, like different instruments or different uh, ranges? Yeah, it really like, uh, just like try, trying to say what you really mean is the hardest thing, which sounds really dumb. Um, but it's so hard to find your voice as an artist and it's so hard to, uh, let go of insecurities and, um, um, like, uh, inhibitions and speak honestly. Um, and I feel like to a certain extent with the other two albums, there was still a little bit of like trying to sound like this or trying to be cool or trying to appease to this demographic or, or like, or like making sure I didn't sound like this person or making sure I did sound like this person. I don't know. With this album, I just, I just didn't give a fuck. And like, I just made it and it came out in a beautiful flowing way. And I, and I think also because of COVID, it forced all of us to go back to the, the place where we began. You know, I literally went to my parents' house, lived there for a, a year and it was like, well, okay, if I'm not touring around the world and I'm not the like successful musician who's like standing on the stage and everyone's going, yay, all the time, like, who the fuck am I, you know? And like, I wrote this album from the perspective of, of that realization. And I, I think it's a really special thing that wouldn't have happened without COVID. And in a lot of ways, I'm really grateful for that um, kind of artistic perspective that that um, lockdown gave me. Mm -hmm. Was it difficult? I mean, having that approach, I mean, was it difficult to be vulnerable or was that something that just kind of came naturally as Not the, okay, I don't really care anymore. Like, let's just, you know, like you were just kind of yeah. Saying, not at all. I mean, I've written about stuff I would never have had the courage to write about before, like my own mental health. I I wrote about um, uh, family friends that committed suicide when I was 16, which was like this really life-changing event for me. And, you know, it's like 17 years later or whatever, I, I finally had the courage to write about this experience. Um, you know, I wrote about my grandmother passing. I, I wrote about falling in love. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of stuff, but it's all like stuff that I really feel and I really think. Mm -hmm. And when putting those songs out, like, I mean, the, so the first couple that you, you've put out too thus far, right? Uh, to Let a Good Thing Die and then Columbo or the, the couple that you've released from the album thus far? No, To Let a Good Thing Die is my second album. Oh, to, okay. Sorry. Oh, I'm thinking of the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We, so were two really are, we, we were never really friends. We were never really friends. Yeah, uh, we were never really yeah, friends. Yeah. Sorry. I'm getting so confused. With, uh, all good, all good. I don't know what the hell is going on with me. Uh, we were with, yeah, when we were never really friends or in, in Columbo, were either of those ones that you were kind of uh, vulnerable about talking about or releasing? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, my friend Jimmy Nates once told me, if you're afraid to say it, it's probably the right lines. And I, I definitely felt that with, um, with some of the songs here. 
I mean, we were never really friends as a story of the relationship that I was in during the, during the writing period. Um, and uh, Columbo is about the car. Oh, is about, oh sure. The, the Mercedes. Yeah. I mean, it's a love song about the car because I ended up crashing it, um, unfortunately. And it was like this kind of tragic event. But, you know, the car felt like a symbol of the period. It felt like a, a, a metaphorical manifestation of renewed autonomy. Um, and uh, in that way, I, that's why I decided to name the album after it. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. I mean, it's not amazing you crashed a car, but that's quite the story <laughs> yeah. to like have along with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, well, the album's coming out uh, fairly soon and then you're doing this big tour to support it. I mean, that must be feel really good, obviously, with your other tour getting canceled and then now kind of having yeah, this, this proper. Absolutely. Al- like album comes out in July. Tour come tours are starting world tour, which is my first world tour, which is wild, uh, is in August. Um, and it's going to have been three years since I stood on a stage. So fingers crossed. I remember how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll be good to go. Are there any cities that you haven't played or you're really, or never been to, or maybe that you really are excited about? Uh, I don't know if we're going anywhere for the first time. Um, I mean, I did pretty extensive touring with the, with the first album, but, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's just a bigger production, you know, like the first time I went to Australia, it was just me and a, and a guitar, whereas this time we're going with like the full crew and my band and, you know, it's going to be uh, bigger venues and yeah, man, can't Exciting. wait. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for doing this, Bruno. Dude, I, re- I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah. I have one more quick question before I let you go. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Advice for aspiring artists. Um, I think that there's a, a, a bit of a, a misnomer with the idea of an aspiring artist. You know, you either are an artist or you're not an artist. Don't aspire to be an artist because, you know, an artist is not defined by having a successful album or going on tour or having a big house. Like being an artist is you feeling a certain way about the world and expressing yourself through whatever artistic medium you feel most capable in, whether it's painting or making music or sculpture or dance or whatever. So, um, yeah, just believe that you are an artist and create something that you're proud of. And that is an honest reflection of your feelings. And that is my advice. (laughs) 